The sponsor for the month is Founders Ministries. Founders Ministries exists for the recovery of the gospel and the reformation of churches. They've provided resources for churches since 1982 through conferences, books, the Sword in the Trial podcast, video documentaries, online articles found at founders.org, the quarterly Founders Journal, Bible studies, international church search, and the newly launched seminary level training program, the Institute of Public Theology. Founders believes that the biblical faith is inherently doctrinal, and they are therefore confessional in their convictions. You can learn more about Founders Ministries and how to partner with them at founders.org. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. The Shepherd's Crook exists to provide care, counsel, and resources for pastors. You can get more information at theshepherdscrook.co. My name is Jared Sparks, and I'm a pastor coming alongside other pastors, reminding them of the chief pastor. Welcome to the Shepherd's Crook Podcast. I'm excited to have on a guest. I've never had him on before, actually, and I'm excited to learn more about him and actually read one of his books last year and listened to a sermon of his on vaccines. He dared to preach a sermon on vaccines before preaching vaccine sermons were cool. And uh, I'm talking to I'm talking to Dr. Jason Garwood today. How's it going, man? Hey, good brother, Jared. It's good to meet you and talk to you. And uh, uh, I, I don't remember how we got connected. I guess I was at Gab originally. I think maybe Gab, or I, I think I saw yeah. you on a uh, at the the post mill conference too with Scalf a couple oh, years yeah, back. Yeah, yeah. There was that as well that I'd seen you on, and then I, I saw your book and read your book. Um, and so I know more about you, I think, and then just have been following you in somehow or another week. But we've been trying to do this. I mean, what, for like six months or a year? It might even be a year. I was thinking yeah. about that today. Like, how we've right. been trying to get together for so long. But, <laughs> it's been a long time. Uh, <laughs> but I'm glad yeah. we did. That's good. That's good. So why don't you go ahead and actually, before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. And then I want to want to give you an opportunity to let us get to know you a bit. But let's go ahead and go ahead and pray. And then we'll do that. Sure. Yeah. Father, I just thank you so much for this time, and I pray that you would help us lead this conversation. I pray it would be encouraging to people, and that we would ultimately honor you. And thank you for the uh, for just the brotherhood that we share because of what Christ has done. I just trust you're going to lead. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, I mean, look at this hair, man. I mean, I gotta I gotta <laughs> put this hat back on real quick. Got to get All that right. camel hat back on. That's right. Bring us up to speed. Tell us about yourself, your family, and then what it is that you do, and and where it is that you guys are. Are, are doing the work. Yeah, sure. I, you know, you try to do a nutshell version. So I'll try to do that as much as possible. I'm originally from Michigan. So born and raised in Southern Michigan and uh, felt like I was uh, called to the ministry at about the age of 18. I grew up at a church, small church, uh, baptized at 10 years old, uh, grew up a dispensationalist, uh, which will tie in later, of course, to our conversation, but uh, spent time uh, really figuring out what it is God wanted me to do. Went to college locally, uh, study criminal justice and and just ah, that's not really my thing like I, I really love God's word and I, I've started to really enjoy reading theological books and so I ended up going to college moved to uh, Philadelphia in 2004 which is where I met my wife Mary and I was doing Bible college out there at, at Philadelphia Biblical University which is now Cairn University and uh, you know I felt like, okay, I'm not done. Like I, I have more to learn. I have an opportunity to go to seminary. I want to go into seminary. So my wife and I got married literally the Saturday after my last class in my undergraduate degree. So wow. we uh, didn't waste much time. Uh, I think my last class was Thursday, got married Saturday. So um, wanted to start school right away, went into do my MDiv at uh, Biblical Theological Seminary, which is now Missio Seminary. 
Uh, and it was really like sort of the end of the Bible college time and into seminary where I really started to read different material and realize, okay. well, maybe I'm, maybe not everybody's a dispensationalist. Maybe there are other things out there. And during that time was a part-time youth pastor and did social work in inner city Philadelphia, which was a huge learning experience. Just, you know, getting, getting the, the real raw aspect of ministry and digging in with people uh, at, really at their worst um, drug addiction, those types mm. of things, just everything that, you know, what you could only imagine, of course, in an inner city setting. So finished seminary and wanted to plant a church, but wasn't sure what to do. I had actually been part of Acts 29 since about 2005. So very, very, that. very, yeah, very, very early on still have many friends that are involved in A29. Uh, this was back, you know, really before Driscoll even became a household name. <laughs> so mm. it was pretty early on in my involvement and uh, met, met some folks through there. And uh, the connection was my brother-in-law in Philly. Uh, he was planting an Acts 29 church. And okay. He was one of the, I think he was probably maybe the second wave, really. Okay. And Mark, Who's your brother-in-law? Uh, his name is Rob, Rob okay. Burns. Okay. He's, he's uh, he pastors in Syracuse, New York now, but I was sort of his executive at that time when I was in school. And, and yeah, it, it's kind of funny just to see how everything shakes out. You know, you look back and <laughs> see what God has done over time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, ended up, uh, we, we moved to Georgia to do some church plant work with an Acts 29 church there. I ended up just not, we didn't really connect real well. It just wasn't, definitely the place wasn't, I wasn't called there. I wasn't called to be in Georgia as much as I appreciate the South. I have family in the South. I always love visiting the South, but it just wasn't my thing. And uh, ended up in Michigan, pastored at a United Brethren church for seven years. So <laughs> here's a reformed guy. At that point, I was, I was reformed. I was post-millennial, okay. you know, growing, learning, reading, uh, doing a little bit of, you know, touching, barely scratching the surface and developing my writing. And um, but it was during that time at, at, at the church in Michigan where I, that was my first pastorate, my first full-time ministry job. And all of a sudden, man, I'm reading other guys like Greg Bonson. Mm -hmm. uh -oh. <laughs> so that was, you know, 2000, when was that? 2011. So okay. um, that's, that's when I first got my, my feet wet with theonomic thinking and reconstruction. Um, but Anyway, uh, long story short, we were there seven years, moved here where we're at in Northern Virginia in 2017 to plant Cross and Crown Church. So we've been okay. here almost five years now. And uh, yeah, just okay, continue wife. to build labor. Yeah. Wife, kids. How many kids you got? Yep. Three kids, uh, 13, 10, and nine. Okay. And uh, they're growing happily, happily homeschooled. And we just love teaching them God's word. And, and they enjoy playing outside. We like playing airsoft. So that's Yeah, a, that's fun. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. Uh, just bought a house finally, actually, after renting four years. So praise well God for that. The, the market was insane, but we finally found a place and we're just building our roots. We want to build a social order here uh, in Warrington area, Fauquier County. And uh, of course, you know, we're 40 miles from D.C., so we are 40 miles from the beast, the mm -hmm. Babylon. Right. Uh, and we do some work there, Planned Parenthood's there. We've, we've done some outreach at colleges around, around the area too, and, and try to do that whenever we can. Awesome. Well done. We'll have to talk warrant and declaration here in a little while too. Yeah. Um, okay. Well, I appreciate, appreciate that. Thanks for everybody that's listening in and get to know you a little bit. I'm curious. So when you were, how old are you? 
Jason, are you? Uh, 39. I'll be okay. 40 this year. Yeah. Okay. Well, you got me by years. Did you graduate in, in 2000 or 2001? High, uh, high school? Yeah. 2000. Okay. Yeah. So you were two years ahead of me then. I didn't graduate till 02. So you got me by a couple of years. Okay. okay. So you were young. When you first got in Acts 29, you were pretty young. I mean, that was, yeah. uh, now what were you, what was your involvement at that point? Were you planting a church pretty young or I, were you working with a church plant at that time? Yeah. My brother-in-law was the planter. I was sort of okay. his right-hand guy. That's right. Yeah. So I was okay. helping with music, discipleship, like, yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. we know a lot because I was in Sojourn Network for a while. Our church was in mm-hmm. with uh, Daniel Montgomery and then Kevin Galloway. Actually, years before, years ago, I, I interviewed with, or I did, started the process with Acts 29 in 2007 or 2008 when we, when we planted a church. But okay. uh, Darren, the guys that listen in know this, but Darren Patrick was, is from my hometown. And so okay. we know them you know, I, I, he and I, he was helpful and, uh, it was kind of a tragic thing, but we probably know a lot of the same people then. Yeah. And, it sounds uh, like it rub shoulders with a lot of the same people, but it's kind yeah. of cool to get to get, just get to know each other a little bit more. So, um, all right. So you're now, so you've been pastoring churches for five years, but in 2011, you started reading Bonson. And, uh, before we started recording this, I was telling you that I had a friend of mine. And, you know, when you think about, you hear about theonomy and post-millennialism, I came from, I went to Pentecostal college. I grew up in a Baptistical dispensational church hmm. and, you know, Calvinism was equated basically with Satanism. <laughs> I mean, yeah. uh, if you weren't dispensational, you were definitely the odd duck. I mean, it wasn't as big of a deal to not be, but you just had to be premillennial. I mean, if you were like, you know, anything else that that's crazy. And then theonomy and these Christian reconstructionists and in, in rush duty, my dad actually went to this presentation with by Gary North or something like that. And uh, all I knew was, you know, everybody needs to die. Like every, just theonomy means execute everybody, basically. <laughs> like, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and uh, then, you know, the last two or three years. So I, I so I became post mill like three or four years ago. And okay. really, it was a process of just being disconnected from eschatology and just avoiding it completely. And uh, went to this deal out in Moscow, Idaho, and George Grant, Doug Wilson were there for a missions conference, and they were uh, talking missions as it connects to eschatology and, uh, and the Great Commission and just tying some things together for me. And, um, and then I thought, you know, I'm going to get into reading some of these guys, and I've got a buddy of mine, he gave me uh, uh, Institutes of, of Biblical Law and Volume 1 with rj rush dooney and then i got into some bonson i got I listened to his uh, theonomy tapes actually i got some tapes okay. um, from him and uh and then 2020 happens and people start to realize man the law of god really matters and hmm. uh it kind of matters who's in charge and it's like the internet has exploded and what you experienced in 2011 everybody it's like everywhere i look everything's burning and yet people are like post-millennial hope build and theonomy (laughs) you know like i mean this is this is what everybody's going for now victory victory (laughs) baby we're gonna win you know we're taking ground we sing this song at our church now like all our elders are now post-millennial we're like we're there's this song where we're like we're taking ground you know and we're all screaming and hooping and hollering about it (laughs) so tell us the process for you what was that like you're in the seminary and then you in 2011 in some ways doug wilson's kind of like this too because you're like you know doug wilson's this boogeyman and then you start to read him and he's like talking about by you know justification by faith all the time and imputation and you're like wait a minute r scott clark is a liar um yeah yeah and uh (laughs) 
so maybe these other guys are liars too, or misrepresenters at least, or slanders or something. But tell us about that process for you. What was that yeah. like? Because let's talk Christian reconstruction. I'm interested to hear and learn from you. And, and let's bust up some of the caricatures and talk about why this Christian reconstruction idea is really a beautiful and amazing thing. Yeah, yeah, that's, a, that's a, I mean, that's what it is. It's really beautiful and it's amazing. Uh, yeah, in 2011, well, I, I wanted to say real quick, I actually remember listening to that lecture that Dr. Grant gave at that conference. So you were there in person. In I was Idaho. there in person, yeah. Cool, yeah. cool. Yeah, I remember listening to that, I think, after they had released the talks. Um, but anyway, just a side note. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, and so I think I, I was 2009, I finished, was it 2009? Yeah, 2009, I finished seminary. And so at that point, I was already reformed. I was, mm -hmm. it was like I said, I was in the Acts 29 movement. So as far as like reformed theology, I didn't, I didn't grow up that way, though. So I didn't understand the confessions. I didn't know mm -hmm. why they were important. I didn't know any of that. I just knew that, you know, God is sovereign and, and over everything, including salvation right. and man's heart. So that, that was easy. That was just, okay, Romans 9 is pretty clear. <laughs> everything else seems to work. Ephesians 1, great, let's do it, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, but I started to read, uh, actually, it was Keith Matheson's book on post-millennialism that got me. Okay. And not read I it, realized, heard of it. Okay. Yeah. It's, uh, people ask for introductions to post-mill. What is their favorite? And I just keep going back to that one. I don't even know if he's still post-mill. I think he was toying around with like an optimistic amillennialism. But um, anyway, that book uh, changed me, changed my life because I realized that, wait, there are other aspects to interpreting the Bible that are, that are legitimate. You know, you can look at the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24, and you can see that Jesus is talking about that generation. Mm -hmm. And that's consistent with what he said in chapter 23 about the blood of the prophets being on that generation. Yeah. And real quick, just to interject a thought, yeah. Jason, uh, the modern postmillennialism is so tied into partial preterism. And, and when that partial preter preterism things clicks, it's like, wait yeah. a minute. OK, worst back there. We've we're marching this way now. That, yes. That's such a crucial piece. And I know that like, you know, former, you know, the Princeton theologians and, and we're leaving like from from Hodge to even Edwards, it was a different kind of postmillennialism, some of the same pieces, but this idea of partial preterism playing into it as well. So that that's like seems to be one of the dominoes that begins to fall where it's like a light bulb moment, you know, yes. for people. Yeah, yeah. Yep. <clears throat> Excuse me. So yeah, that was 2009. You, you read Matheson, you think, wow, there are other views. I think I'm post-millennial. It just sort of like was like, and it wasn't because I felt like it was more spiritual or anything like that. It just seemed like that actually had good answers for Bible passages that I always thought were speculative. You know, why, why do they put a gap in, in Daniel's narrative in the 70 weeks? Why do they interpret these things the way they do? Uh, and truth be told, uh, <laughs> I I know I'm going to say this and get in trouble, but N.T. Wright was hugely formative for me mm. because N.T. Wright, while, you know, I appreciate some of his his dialogue with Piper on justification, I don't think he's as wrong as a lot of people think he is. But, you know, there are some aspects that I would not agree with, obviously. Um, but some of his teaching about the law and the Torah and the temple and some of those connection points and and uh, hi there. <laughs> hey, this is Valor. You want to say hey to Mr. Jason? No. Hi. Okay, you need to go out. We're going to get back to that, Jason. Sorry. And this is not even going to be edited. Everybody's going to hear this, too. Oh, okay, this buddy. is raw, man. This is That's, good. This, this is, is raw. That's right. That's right. Here we go. There you go, buddy. You, dude. Everything's okay. All right. Sorry. And continue. No, you're fine. No, you're fine. Yeah. So I, I'm reading N.T. Wright and realizing, wait, he has almost like a post-millennial preterist understanding of these passages, too. And hmm. maybe they're, you know, so I... I, from there kind of branched out and realized, oh, like 
here's some Jonathan Edwards. He's got some interesting things to say. And, and suddenly there's just other, you know, other theologians and people you think of the Princeton boys and everybody that, I mean, Warfield, who could forget Warfield. Um, it, it just kind of all came together for me in that regard. And, it, and, and, it, and bottom line is what, what made it exciting for me is because I felt like it really brought the Bible together in a way that dispensationalism just never could for me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So then that, so you've got that post-millennial, you know, perspective and view, and then, you know, that inevitably affects how we understand the reign and the rule of Christ in this world right now, as we see it. And so the, there's the, there's the connection to theonomy and there's the connection to why so many people are making that, you know, connecting the dots. And by the way, we may see some of these things differently. I think that's why biblical patriarchy has just started on fire too the last couple of years as well through Foster, Michael yeah. Foster, and through some of these guys is because it's like guys are getting a perspective, like, okay, here's actual direction on how to build, you know, that this is, this is where yeah. we're going. And so these, these, all these pieces seem to be going together where you're either like putting your head down on the ground and just, you know, saying, yes, Holy Father Fauci. Okay. And do whatever you tell me to do TV channel, or people are like, forget that I'm going out and we're, we're taking the hill. Yeah. So th this connection then with postmillennialism and theonomy, how long did it take for, for those dots to connect for you? Yeah, about a year later, it kind of it sunk in. I read Greg Bonson's By the Standard first. That was the okay. first explicitly theonomic book that I read. And it, it, I, I still have a member of reading it when I was at the doctor's office with an ear infection, just sitting there. <laughs> and uh, uh, even my position on health has changed over the years too. come to think of it. But yeah, yeah you they, need to start eating meat, by the way. <laughs> I read your book. I was like, all right, Jason, get those supplements. I get it. They're great stuff here. Get, you need a good steak. Uh, I've never liked steak, frankly. <laughs> uh, we'll pray for you, man. I mean, my come manhood, on. I know it's being under, under question, <laughs> uh, which I, uh, by the way, I'm eager to read uh, Foster's book. Um, what you mentioned is good to be a man, because I think you're right. There is a connection there mm -hmm. um, with just uh, like a Christianity that means something. You know, mm -hmm. I'm getting ready to preach through judges starting this week. And you just think, man, like these are men. And even Deborah, who's a, the sort of the typical, the typified Eve person, she's the She's the mother, so to speak, and and there's a, there's godliness and and biblical warfare, and so I think that's what theonomy did for me is just said, oh wait, like yeah, Jesus is reigning and he's ruling, but what's the quality of that rule and reign? Yeah. What are we supposed to be doing with it? Oh, yeah. ethics matters, God's law matters, you know. Right. And then a lot of people come to theonomy from presuppositionalism. Uh, I kind of I didn't really come around to precept until maybe a couple of years, even after that, because I, I never even heard of it. I, I mm -hmm. knew of Van Til, but never read anything from him. And certainly, you know, uh, besides him, Bruging Tate's work with that, what's the documentary, How to Answer the Fool was huge. Mm -hmm. Of course, Apologia right. ties into that. Yeah, so. Apologia ties in. Yeah, that's right. Well, for me, a few years ago, I read Kuiper at the end of the year, 2018, I think. And then Kuiper, you, you know, you have this theological stream from Kuiper you go down to Van Til and then you get to Rush Dooney and Bonson and you, you see this like this thread that goes for about 120 years or whatever yeah. up till today and even to the Apology of Boys. And, uh, you know, there <clears throat> when you recognize and I loved uh, Dr. Joe Boots book, I think you've read this as well. Have you read Mission of God? OK, oh, I, yeah. Yeah. I, so him connect, connecting the dots and talking about how like, hey, guys, this is not that complicated. These modern theonomists are just they're Puritan. It's Puritanism. This, this is this yeah. is the, the gaping hole. I just got off the I did an interview with uh, with uh, Pat Daly of the banner just right before this. And um, talking to him, I love Pat Daly. I love the banner of truth. But it seems like there is this gaping hole in the reform tradition where 
where classic modern reformed theologians completely throw guys like Rush Dooney out the window and they don't yeah. connect the dots. Like, man, this was Puritanism in New England. I mean, like this is New England Puritanism. This is England yep. Puritanism. And I, I don't know how that there's a, there's like a cognitive disconnect there or dissonance there where, where you just they're, they're missing what's hidden yeah. in plain sight. And I think what's missing is before anybody reads Institutes of Biblical Law, they probably need to read Foundations of Social Order. Because that's, I think that's the issue yep. where people aren't, you, you, I don't know how you, you, it's like theology, we love theology, reformed theology is the, particularly that strain of reformed theology that just loves, love, we love books, we love reading, we love collecting books, we get, we buy more books than we actually read, probably most people that are in that vein of thought. And that's a good thing. But what does that do for the world? What is it? What is that doctrinal? conviction about the hypostatic union actually teach us about how we should view the state <laughs> or mm -hmm. how we should view medicine or these types of things. And I think that's where the, the disconnect is, is people are missing before you get to, and I don't even remember when Rush Dooney, I think Foundations of Social Order came after that, if I'm not mistaken, Okay, but um, it really should be read first. Mm -hmm. Okay. Well, yeah, well, let's see, I've not read that one. And I've now, I've not read cover to cover the uh, Institutes of Biblical Law either, but um, it is interesting, just a little line that's been helpful for me over the last few years is that God's word is authoritative, but not just for Christians. I mean, God's word is authoritative for everyone. And that yeah. you follow that train of thought out, and there's massive implications that the word of God is authoritative in Illinois, in Southern Illinois, in the United States yeah. of America, regardless of people recognize that or not. And, yeah, yeah. and so I, I did have a pushback recently from a guy that I really respect, a guy that I've learned a lot from, and he, he was talking about theonomy, listened to Bonson tapes on, on theonomy and lectures. And he's like, the hard part for me personally is knowing that, knowing what's next for him as he's thinking through this, because, you know, at this point, you know, we don't have locally or at the state level or at the federal level, we have corrupt people like crazy and even people who claim the name of Christ are, are taking advantage of insider trading, getting rich off taxpayer dollars and just evil, wicked things, claiming to be conservative. And, you know, it, it's there's just corruption everywhere. It's, it, it, it seems like. Yeah. It, where I don't trust anybody. You know, you don't you just don't trust anybody in the public sphere. And uh, oh, yeah. Sphere sovereignty is the way in for a lot of people, too, with with. Kuiper. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, <clears throat> so. For you. um you know, practically theonomy, how does it affect somebody's life personally? You know, like, like when people get onto that, okay, yes, but I'm not, I'm not in charge of our, I'm not a mayor, you know, I don't sit on the county seat, county board. Um, yeah. how, how, practically, what are the practical implications for local churches and individuals with, yeah. with Christian reconstruction and this idea of, uh, of biblical truth? <clears throat> yeah. You think of Ezekiel 36, 27, Jesus, or, uh, Yahweh says, look, I'm going to put the, the Holy spirit in your heart and I'm going to cause you to walk in my ways. And with that, part of that is the Holy spirit writing the law of God on, on the hearts of the regenerate. And when we think of theonomy, we usually do go to the theology of the state and those things, which is something we do need way more work on than when we, what we realize. Um, but theonomy itself isn't just about the state it's about every sphere of life it's about a mom or it's a, a kid a son a teenager how, how do you how do you essentially walk in the ways of Yahweh how do you walk in the ways of the Lord how do you honor him and it's because it's the question of ethics mm -hmm. and I think that's that's really the answer is what is 
what is a godly husband husband supposed to be and do yeah. as he leads as the covenantal head of his home? How is he supposed to, to function? Uh, same thing with the wives. What, what are wives called to do? Do we have anything in scripture that tells us what wives should be doing? <laughs> yeah, a lot, a lot of things. So uh, I think that that's where theonomy becomes a lot bigger than mm-hmm. just sort of the narrow focus on the state. It becomes a, yeah. a, the ethics of a church. You know, how are elders supposed to rule? Mm-hmm. Are they supposed to rule wisely? Uh, and if so, how, how do they know how to yeah. rule? And, and that kind of ties into your, your comment about Kyberianism and sphere sovereignty and, and, and even some of Dewey word stuff, uh, just mm-hmm. thinking about all of life being kind of wrapped up into this wonderful expression of, of God's law and his character and who he is. Well, even in, you know, our view of a historic understanding of God's law, the third use of the law is people make mental assent to the third use of the law in the reformed tradition like crazy but when you begin to define that yeah and it's like man we're talking about something that's very historic here i mean that god's god's law is good for us in all of life and that's not a bad thing at all and i think the functional antinomianism that's around everywhere is uh it's you know actually sunday i was preaching and i was talking about how uh, if you're over 50 years old, that most people over 50 remember in their church experience, if they grew up in a church or their friend's church that they grew up in, pretty strict legalism. You know, yeah. don't drink, smoke, chew, uh, go with girls that do, don't yeah. um, play cards, don't dance, go to, don't go to the theater. I mean, you still read, read Tozier or even Lloyd-Jones and choirs and theater are like the most evil thing ever, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. Uh, Lloyd-Jones is like, don't bring, you know, choirs into the church. Are you kidding? And Tozier, don't go to the theater, you know, those kinds of things. <laughs> and uh, it's almost like today, there, there's like 50 years then of categorizing all of what's under the third use of the law or just basic commands in, in the Christian life. If you love me, you obey my commandments and saying that's legalism and dead orthodoxy rather than, rather than seeing it as that's beautiful. And that's awesome. And yeah. uh, God, thank you that you would, that you would give clarity, give me, give, give me all that you want to, and whatever you tell me to do, whatever you commission me to, and what, whatever you prohibit me from my posture should be cool. All right, let's go. Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. That is. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think people understand too, that, that I was just thinking about this as I was sermon prepping that, that this, this in philosophy, the issue of dialectics and kind of going back to the Greek world of mind and matter. And, and then you sort of get the grace and, and nature dialectic that came throughout the middle ages and in and, and some of Thomism. And um, then it sort of like post enlightenment thinking of, well, now there's like this natural world and then there's the spiritual world. And so you have the occultists who are kind of in that as well. And then it, it I was sort of thinking how, well, this really traced all the way to modernity and what we experience now which gave us that separation of church and state. Hmm. So it's like, we've had this dialectical dilemma all throughout, you know, Van Til says everything that's not biblical is inherently dialectical. So you, you, you don't have the categories without the Trinity, without Christianity and, mm-hmm. and, and like people, and I know for some people who are listening that might, wow, what did he just say? Don't worry about that. The point is, is like when you divide the world, when God has unified it, yeah, uh, you, you create a whole host of other issues with it, like you said, like the legalistic aspect of it, sec- secular sacred. Yeah. that's part of it as well. Or, or you can get to the point where in America you have Christians that claim to be Bible loving, Jesus loving people that are fighting for secularism, that are fighting for pluralism, that are fighting for functional syncretism as if that's yeah. a good thing. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's mind blowing. Yeah. It's just absolutely yeah. mind blowing as if that's preferable 
you know, that, you know, that, uh, that today's America is preferable with the pluralism that exists and, or as if the founding fathers dreamed of a day of a pluralistic society, it's a fantasy land that people live in. And that, that seems to be the land that people like, I mean, it's crazy the last few years, you know, this meta thing that's coming out with Facebook right now. It's funny yeah. because it's like, everybody's been li living in meta land already. And there's <laughs> yeah. only like 5% of the, the global population. That's like, everybody's lost their minds and I'm going to fight tooth and nail to, to keep sanity, you know, yes. <laughs> like I, come what may you can call me the crazy one, but I'm going to sit back and laugh at you. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, That's uh, true. It's true. It That's is. True. It's, it's crazy. So you're, you're wearing a shirt, yeah. just say no to vaccine Joe. Okay. Yeah. Um, I just preached a sermon about, I was commissioned by our elders to preach a sermon. It was a biblical mandates in the Christian or a vaccine mandates in the Christian conscience or something, medical mandates in the Christian Christian conference or something. Yeah. And it was our by, <laughs> something by far, something along those lines. Yeah. <laughs> three or four months ago, they, we put together a religious exemption document that's been wildly successful in our area and our state. And people have really benefited from it. We've probably had and we, we've had definitely more than 10 from our church that have been approved and then others that are still waiting to hear back. But it's the strongest document I've seen yet it, that, yeah. that our, our associate pastor put together. Just phenomenal document. Well, coinciding with that, they said, Jared, you really need to preach on this. And so I preached on this and it's been our most listened to sermon ever. It's not like it's we don't get a massive amount of people listening to our sermons, but um so there's interest there of connecting the dots yeah. with the scripture in real life. And for the first time, and for, for so many pastors, we're getting people that are coming with real life questions. And it's like, we're, we've never had to think through this before. So everybody's driven to the word to think through this stuff before, um, or th yeah. think through this stuff now. now. And you've been doing this for a while and thinking through this stuff for a while. Um, you put together the Warrington doctor, uh, uh, declaration, and I would love for you to kind of trace the idea or the thought, the theological thought from your sermon that you preached that blew up that everybody listened to that you're preaching to somebody's house because you guys are doing the house church thing or whatever. Um, yeah. Whatever you guys yeah. do, you're preaching to somebody's house and uh, <laughs> with hors d'oeuvres, I'm sure in the back. And yes. uh, yeah, right and, after uh, right after communion, <laughs> yeah, you got to get those jalapeno poppers. Um, but uh, not for you, though. There's like, you know, Jason's supplement pack. He pulls out the I'm sorry. I feel like we're friends here. Um, everybody else is enjoying food and Jason's popping out his supplements. Um, my, but, my uh, mighty 90, baby. There my you mighty go. You're mighty, you're mighty 90. Um, so uh, tell us your train, train of thought. Okay, How did you get to the yeah. point where you're preaching a sermon on vaccines, for goodness sake? And, you know, I don't know if I'm as far as you are in some of this, as far as I, I think there is some level of, uh, you know, Christian liberty with the conclusions that we come to. There has to be an agreement on some of the big things like the useful board of uh, fetal lines that that is there's no way to get around that. That is evil and wicked. And right. then, you know, that, but some Christians are going to come to a different conclusion then on what vaccines they can feel like they can take in good conscience and what like that they can't take in good conscience. Um, yeah. And, uh, and yet you're preaching the sermon. I watched it. I was like, man, that that's really good. So tell us, how did you get there? And then yeah. how did you get to the Warrington Declaration? Yeah, sure. So that sermon was preached in September 2019. So at that point, I had already been involved here locally with the Virginia Freedom Keepers, um, and others, because it, it really kind of all started because of a gun grab by our governor, who is on his way out here in another week. And he, we sort of rallied about 2000 people in our county to come and, and deal with our local county board of supervisors. And so it was around that time, too, that I had already been involved with some medical freedom issues, mostly surrounding vaccination. I readily admit that I'm an anti-vaxxer. I don't think anybody ever needs to get a vaccine for for reasons that 
I just think it's bad science. I don't think it actually works. It overstimulates your humoral system. Yeah, go ahead. And I will say, yeah, uh, we're, I'm personally done with that as well. That's the conviction that I've came to as well. So yeah. anyways, yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. Feel so, free to and, say that. But I'm also fine with people who want to, in the free market, have, if they feel like it works for them, okay, they should, notwithstanding the aborted fetal cell issue, uh, which is tainting most of pharmaceuticals as it is. I mean, we've, people have been ingesting that for a long time without realizing it, but Anyway, so I had been involved in medical freedom stuff anyway, already writing exemption letters for, for people who didn't want their kids to have to have the flu shot and so on. And, and I'm on the abolish government schools train, but I'm also willing to help people who aren't quite there in their sanctification yet. So I had been doing that, you know, in 2019. And so uh, my friend Jordan, he decided we need to, he, he wants to respond to Joe Carter from the Gospel Coalition. Good. So he writes a series of articles. And at that point, I was in Africa uh, doing some teaching with the University of Zambia and was studying vaccines while I was over there in my uh, free time um, when I wasn't lecturing there. So as I was doing that, I was prepping myself to preach a sermon on it because with that, I was writing Health for All of Life and studying for that and realizing, uh, well, I wasn't writing at that point yet, but I was involved in that because of my wife and her health battles that she's had over the years and, and the success that we've seen. And so we've been in that vein of thought for a long time. So it was just kind of natural that, ah, here's a guy who believes in faith for all of life. Mm -hmm. And here's a guy who uh, understands that um, medical tyranny is a real thing before yeah. COVID ever hit. We, I mean, it's, it's been there. Um, mm -hmm. Personal stories I could share at, at another time. So already involved in it, researching it, realizing, and no, we can apply the biblical worldview to this, to mm -hmm. these issues of vaccination. Um, we, we, it's God's world. <laughs> We're in his world. And we know we can study the human body. We can understand the cell-mediated humoral systems of the body and, and how vaccination really messes with those blueprints and so on. So we, we can do those things. And, 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 it, and it wasn't me sitting down, okay, I got to come up with some Bible verses here to support my cause. It's more like, mm -hmm. no, the Bible gives us a worldview and an outlook with basic principles. And, you know, people can go listen to that sermon if they want. They can see those principles come out. But it's not, it's not like we have to go to the thou shalt not vaccinate, you know. Right. It, it's, it's not that. It's what does the kingdom deal with? How does the kingdom and the, the ethics of God's law work, how do those things apply to the issue of medicine? And so that's where the sermon came from. I had been a part of a huge event in, uh, in Washington, D.C. Out of that came the writing of Health for All of Life and the researching for that and trying to, uh, you know, build, build upon this gospel of the kingdom. How do we build upon it and apply it to the issue of health? Uh, I was mm -hmm. thankful. Mar Martin Salbridi from Calcedon uh, read it over, gave me a, a great, great forward for it. He just he only made the book even better. His, his forward could be a book in and of itself, actually. Um, and so out of that though, then COVID hits mm -hmm. and we locally, we did a reopen rally. We got 150 people to come. We started a Facebook group that blew up. We were suddenly meeting with people like-minded, a lot of conservatives, a lot of people that I had to stick my nose up because they just, you know, had Trump tattoos and all that other stuff, mm -hmm. but I was willing to work with them because they cared about medical freedom too. Yeah. And so we had been involved in that locally and just agitating people and our, our, meetings with the sheriff locally sitting in his office asking him why he's not interposing why is he allowing businesses to shut down um why is the town council acting like a bunch of occultists with <laughs> with their pagan worldviews and and all that so kind of out of that the warrenton declaration was birthed and so i'm not i'm not the sole primary author of it uh, it was a labor of love for several different people 
Um, but but that's really where all of that came. It came to a mm-hmm. head. We need to have awesome. a proper theological foundation for you know mandates, lockdowns, yeah. forced vaccination. Mm-hmm. And by the way, this shirt, just say no to vaccine, Joe. No tyrantsgear.com. No tyrantsgear.com. <laughs> Awesome. Yeah, I Very have to cool. mention that. And they're and on Gab. Out. You can find them on Gab. Okay, yeah, good. Yeah. Well, I'm going to write that down. Actually, text me this or shoot me a message that in a message and I'll put that in the show notes afterwards. All right. Cool. Um, yeah. So this is going to be a bigger issue, I think, rolling down. This is the tip of the iceberg, I think, of what's coming. The foundation has been laid for a long time and we're going to be facing more of these ethical dilemmas for Christians that uh, I don't think is going to be slowing down at all. Right. You got your, my primary audience is pastors. And you're in pastoral ministry and you're thinking through these things. And there's some pastors that are still going to listen to this and think, oh, man, come on. This is so overblown. Dr. Garwood, you're this is just so overwhelming. It's just, Jared, you are this, this is not a big deal. Just it's going to be over with. Get the vaccine, for goodness sake. And you can go to Walmart, do whatever you need to do. Just do what you need to do. This is not a big deal. Um, how do you what have you done to talk with people where? Cause I'm sure that you've seen it. Cause I've seen it where light bulbs begin to go off in people's life and, and you see them like, Oh man, something's happened to that person. They've, they have, you know, to steal the woke terminology, they've woken up, you know, like yeah. they're, they're awake now. Like God has you know, <laughs> brought some blinders off and uh, they're seeing things for what they are. So how have you gone along trying to help people see like, dude, you got to see this, man, this is, this is not just some, you know, neutral thing here. You got to see what's going on. Yeah. Yeah, I guess the twofold answer is one, I've just been incredibly uh, obnoxious about it. <laughs> just constantly putting out content, constantly trying to shape people's mindset on it. Um, and, and also starting from the biblical worldview. I think that's the main answer is just remembering that, no, like we do have the word of God. Um, see, and this is something I said Sunday in my sermon. I don't understand how you could, to the pastors who are listening, I don't understand how you can be a pastor and not deal with the greatest idol problem of our day. You, you want to preach the gospel, well, you, then you got to preach against the idols. And the greatest idol that's sitting in front of us is this totalitarian centralized mm-hmm. statism. Right. So if you, if you can't, I'm not saying every sermon you got to, you know, you, it, it's certainly something your people are thinking about. Mm-hmm. I got a friend, I got a friend who hasn't been to church in two years because they won't wear a mask and the elders are demanding them. And yeah, to me, terrible. that's just, that's that's nonsense. It's not yeah. anything close to what they should be doing. That's a right. personal decision. Um, but they haven't been in fellowship for two years. So, mm. so like people are thinking about it. People, it's in front of you. How could you not talk about the thing that everybody's talking about? That everybody's getting sick of talking about for two years now. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how how could you possibly not? And then to miss an opportunity, I always you know, you, you wonder how could how could the churches have allowed what happened in Nazi Germany to take place? How mm-hmm. is that possible? And then you think, well, how have we allowed the slaughter of infants for the 50 years? Right. You know, how have we allowed that? And then you think, well, how many sermons are against statism? Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, not many. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it answers the question, like, how could people not do that? Well, what's happening right now? Yeah, right. Um, you know, this, this is the authority of the word of God we're talking about. We have the scriptures. We have Christ on his throne. We have mm-hmm. what we need. Let's do something with it. Yeah, I, I hear you. You know, it is interesting when you think about church history and persecution of the church, persecution of nations or tyrants, you know, being tyrannical. Often people think, well, we're not in that now because we have this idea that the tyrant is always 
in proximity to the people being persecuted, that every moment of their life, they're being persecuted and they're in danger every time they walk out their doors of being killed. And certainly there's been some places in the world that are like that. But I think experientially, whether we realize it or not, the frog has been boiling in the kettle for so long that we don't even know what what tyranny looks like because we're just in the pot. We don't even like, what do you mean? This is tyrannical. Whereas in the history of the world, I mean, wasn't the revolution fought on far less, fought fought for far less in this country? Far less. I mean, far far less. less. And here we are, you know, 200 over, you know, well over 200 years later. And, you know, we're in the middle of something that, I mean, so many people that went before us would not have put up with. And at some, at some point, you know, things do have to come to a head. I, I don't know. I'm, you know, I've heard somebody say this being being short-term pessimistic, long-term optimistic kind of kind of idea. And as a post-millennialist, I mean, we know the trajectory there. But if if pastors, if there isn't that black robe regiment that rises rises up, if the pastors will fall in line with Gospel Coalition and all the you know stuff from the ERLC and that kind of thing, then things will be bad. But here's what's neat, man. I don't know if you're seeing this. I'm seeing across denominational lines, though, Jason. I'm seeing people. I'm seeing pastors that I didn't see have a backbone before that are actually saying things I never thought they would say, you know, two years ago, where God mm. has so got a hold of them, where they're turning the attention to their people to the scriptures and saying, what does God have to say about this? And we're at the point now that I don't care what anybody else has to say, once we found out what God has to say. And that I'm pretty excited about. Yeah, yeah. I don't know that I've seen it a ton. I, I've been more trying to get go after some of our local pastors here, who would r- much rather do a blessing of the pet service than, than preach an expositional sermon on sadism. But that, <laughs> so frustrating it's so yeah. frustrating but uh it, it is it's sort of one of those things too where th- that's one of the blessings of this these past two years is i think it has forced pastors to have to stop and think and mm-hmm. and uh there are godly men who will you and i don't know and we'll never know and nobody will ever know and right they're out in the middle of the country serving faithfully and they've been you know embarking about this for probably longer than you and i've been alive oh i'm sure and, uh, you know, so they're there. I'm not trying to besmirch every single pastor. Obviously, that's not our heart's intent. But, um, but yeah, it, it's <clears throat> it's sort of like rubbing the dog's face in the mm-hmm. mess that it made. I feel like that's kind of what God's doing. Like, hey, eh, this is our mess. We went to a a um, was last June. Was it last June? I don't even know what year it is. Half the time, um, we went to the uh, Pride Parade in D.C. and had mm-hmm. about two thousand people. Sort of bum rush us we were like 20 of us 30 of us preaching okay. and they just went after us 200 police co- cops showed up separated us it was this huge ordeal and uh, my friend ron uh he was he was there and he said you know we did this and and i thought oh i love ron too he's he's he comes in and preaches once in a while he's a, he's a great great minister great servant mm-hmm. and, he, and he just he just said it he's like yeah we did this mm. we did this and, and now it's like our mess to try to clean up. And, wow. and it's partly our, our, we're, you know, to blame for that and the, and the church's lack of response. Um, hmm. But it, yeah. it applies to everything, not just the pride, pride right. issue. Yeah. Well, I mean, you trace it back. And I think a lot, you, people try to always try try to trace a line throughout history and try to find out what's the roots of where we're at, you know? So what's the roots of feminism? What's the, does it always, you know, second great awakening? Was it a big turn of the second great awakening of, of the heart over, over the head uh and you know putting feeling and story and emotion thank finney above logic yeah. and reason when both should be working together you know so how how, uh, how do we get where we are today but certainly 
we can go back and and so I'm I'm reading Machen right now. Every every year, couple of years, I read a book that I should have read 15 years ago. You know, and <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I'm reading right now Jay Gresham Machen, Christianity and Liberalism, yeah. and I'm reading it. I'm like, man, in much the same way as in a different way, but they they saw the same thing. Lewis with the abolition of man, they saw where the current day was leading them, and they saw today. Like they yes. knew it, they knew where they yeah. knew it, they knew it mm-hmm. right. They, they were the sons of Iskar back then. And, yep. you know, I, I think uh, it's so easy to get sucked into the culture of the moment and to think things are normal, just things are normal. And then, you know, it, it takes a 2020 or a 2021 for a lot of people to rip the bandaid off to realize this is insanity. And we've got a lot of repenting to do. And then, you know, the Christian reconstructionist side of this is we've got to build households. And if we're not going to build yeah. households, um, then this area in 50 years or 100 years is going to look a whole lot worse than it is now. So we've got to start. We've got to start making disciples locally. We got to stop, start yeah. building households. We got to turn our attention to the local church. We got to get a robust ecclesiology and we've got to grow up healthy people, healthy families. And yeah. then, yeah. you know, trust that in time, the Lord will bless the fruit of our hands. Yep. Yep. That's the, that's the answer right there. I mean, because with post-millennialism, we're not pie in the sky optimists here. We do believe mm-hmm. in victory, but we also believe because we're covenantalists, we believe in judgment and, mm-hmm. and, and we're undergoing that. Um, right. I just uh, finished, well, I'm not done yet. I'm in the fifth volume. I, I made it a goal last year to read all of Francis Schaeffer's, the five volume, uh, yeah. his, his works that mm-hmm. <clears throat> Crossway put out. Yep. So, and, and just sort of reading that and seeing how, you know, Schaefer saw it, you know, he, he, he's, he did a good job of tracing, uh, especially from the Renaissance up to the Reformation and, mm. and, and then past that into modernity and, and just, uh, just did a great job of tracing that. And it's like, man, we, did, we just need to pay attention to mm-hmm. guys, what guys like that were saying, because yeah, right. them, Machen, all of those guys were, were, were remarkably uh, prescient about this stuff. They knew what was going on. They could, they, they were men of Issachar. They could, yeah. they could tell what was going on and yeah but you're right as far as like you did a masterful job there jared just just a kudos to you because people think what are, what are the big things we can do well have babies and baptize them right you know well <laughs> i'm baptist man <laughs> yeah well uh, that's all right well i'm praying for you and uh, <laughs> but but you know it's sort of like what i love about the the fight laugh feast guys i mean that's true mm-hmm. like the fight laugh feast and and mm-hmm. building those covenant homes and mm-hmm. and stop sending your kids to go get saddled with a hundred thousand dollars of debt for a yeah. useless degree teach mm-hmm. them a trade you right know? that's good um th- th- those are those are that's where the glory is yeah amen well i got Schaefer. i'm looking at that five volume set blue green yellow orange red uh, I've got the hardback copies right down there. I've not read through them, but from what I've heard, oh. that is, I mean, but isn't it Vantillianism for the layman pretty much? Isn't, isn't Schaefer? Yeah. I mean, yeah, he's, he was, he, he was a student of Vantill and yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's cool. Why don't we turn the corner a little bit again? It's been a yeah. lot of great stuff. We've been kind of all over the place, but it's been fun. Um, <laughs> yeah. You got pastors. So what's your word of encouragement to them? And then I'll, I'll give you a final question at the end. I always set people up. My listeners are like, yeah, you're dude, Jared, you're a broken record here, but um, two last questions. Number one, uh, what's your word of encouragement to, to guys that are listening in? And number two, why do you love Jesus? Yeah. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> word of encouragement. Uh, this is probably something that came out of my, um, I did a two weeks on a state of the church address. And this past Sunday, I talked about the work of the Holy spirit and revival. And, uh, you brought up Tozer, uh, despite some of Tozer's pietistic, 
uh, flair. There were some really good nuggets from him. Um, we, one of the things he said was, is oftentimes we want revival, but we, we want God to send the fire on our altars, forgetting the fact that there are altars and not God's altars. Mm. And, and I, I think at the sort of this idea of farming, you can't ask for the harvest without first tilling the soil. And that's mm. the hard work. And that's the day in and day out. And, and, and my encouragement to pastors is to keep, to keep that up, to keep, keep the toil, keep the labor and uh, continue to fight and teach your people how to fight, teach them mm. how, how to, uh, you know, what, what they should be thinking about these things, going to God's word together yeah. um, and in inviting conversation. And, and I think that that's uh, really what a loving shepherd should be doing is bringing them along in that regard and, and know that, you know, it's hard. It's, it's going to be hard, but man, like, why are we trying to loosen what God demands? Yeah. Well, he's tied up. He said to take up your cross, not your pillow. So mm-hmm. that's good. it's, it's going to be challenging. Yep. That's good. Okay. I'm setting you up to praise God for his grace. Why do you love Jesus, yeah. brother? Yeah. Because he first loved me. <laughs> there we go. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. That's, see, that's, <laughs> that's, that's that simple. I, that's, that's what I'm going for, man. Uh, all right. Well, for people that are like, man, I like this guy. I want to learn more and, and want to listen more. Where can we find out more about you, man? Yeah, sure. Our church is crosscrownchurch.com, uh, Cross and Crown Church in Northern Virginia. Um, I blog infrequently at my website, jasongarwood.com, but um, I'm, we're actually going to be restarting our, our podcast. Uh, thankfully, we, after a year hiatus, going to relaunch kind of a news show that I'm going to be leading. So that's Cross and Crown Radio. Um, also, the Warrington Declaration. Make sure you check mm-hmm. it out, warrantondeclaration.com. That was a that was a big, big effort. And you mentioned Dr. George Grant. He was mm-hmm. willing to be an original signer, and and uh, you're on there. Yep. And uh, you know, John Speed's on there. Some mm-hmm. others. So uh, I'm thankful for those men and the labor that they're doing. Yeah, man, that's good stuff. Well, everybody, thanks so much for listening. We've been talking to Dr. Jason Garwood. Jason, thanks for coming on the show, man. Thanks, Jared. It was a blessing.